Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome everybody watching online. Great to see from afar this morning. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to 1 John chapter 2, towards the back of your Bible. Uh, we're going to walk through a couple of verses of that. This weekend, we are continuing our series entitled A Mandate from Heaven, and we've been talking about the mandate God has given his church. And we spent the last two weeks talking about the presence of God, that priority number one, in, in my opinion, for the church and for every follower of Jesus Christ is to house the presence of God, not just the indwelling presence of God, but to experience consistently the manifest presence of God. So we spent two weeks talking about that. If you weren't around for it, go back, watch those, especially last weekend as a very practical way to uh, take a look at having a more intimate relationship with the God of the universe. This weekend, we pivot just a touch, and we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In my opinion, one of the biggest priorities that we should all have as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, is to represent Jesus. That's the title of the message. Represent Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, So we, speaking of believers, we are Christ's ambassadors. Now I want to read you, I don't often do this, but I so loved the definition in the encyclopedia uh, online. The word ambassador is commonly used to denote a public minister of the first rank, accredited and sent by the head of a sovereign state as his personal representative to negotiate with a foreign government and to watch over the interests of his own nation abroad. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Now, whether you realize this or not, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we all have a quote-unquote follow-me moment. Just like the disciples, maybe you weren't fishing when Jesus found you and said, come follow me. I don't know what you were doing. I know for me, my follow me moment was when I was 13. It was the middle of the night. I woke up and I had an encounter with the Lord. I knew I needed to immediately, right then and there, give my life to the Lord. Now, I grew up a, a pastor's kid and uh, my parents probably thought that I had given my life to Jesus when I was about seven. But I had not given control of my life to Jesus. So in the middle of the night, I woke up and I ran downstairs to my parents' bedroom, crashed in there. I'm sure they thought something was terribly wrong. And I, I shook my dad and I said, Daddy, Daddy, you have to lead me to Jesus right now. I guess the middle of the night. I'm sure my dad was probably thinking, son, you're good. Like you, you did that a long time. No, 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 Daddy, I need you to lead me to Jesus right now. Well, my dad, being wonderful, led me to Jesus at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning at 13 years old. That was my follow me moment. Now, understand something. All of us have a little bit of orphan and a little son and daughter in us. The orphan in us celebrates the fact that Jesus chose us. 
But the son or daughter in us understands the weight of the responsibility of carrying his name. Bearing the name of Jesus is a great privilege, but it is also a tremendous responsibility. Now, in this message, there are four, what I would call, scary one-liners, all right? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to write these down twice, okay? I want everybody to take notes. Otherwise, why come? Understand something. There's no judgment. But when we come into the presence of the Lord and we don't write down what we hear him say, think about what we're saying to him. I don't care what you're saying. Okay? So if you're not taking notes, take notes. There are four scary one-liners in this message. Here's the first one. One of the scariest things about having the responsibility of representing Jesus is knowing we also have the ability to misrepresent Jesus. Yeah, it's great that we have been handpicked to be personal representatives of Jesus, but never underestimate the ability we also have to misrepresent Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 helps us understand the way God set this whole thing up as representatives. It's not just us. He did it with his son as well. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Another way to say it is the father sent the son to express, to represent exactly what he was like. And the son, Jesus, perfectly represented the Father in all things. Okay, remember, the Son is our goal as sons and daughters. The way he represented the Father, we are called to represent him. That's what you're going to see in this message. Now, the Son of God lived like the Father, but every child of God is called to live like the Son. Let me show it to you in Scripture. If you turn to 1 John chapter 2, let's read it together, starting in verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives like Jesus did. Okay, sometimes I think we have the ability to read over really important Scriptures and not understand the magnitude of them. Those who say they live in God should not live according to the way they want to live, They should live their lives like Jesus did. Why? Because we are representatives of Jesus. We don't represent ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. We represent him. Now, there are three things in this message. I know there are a lot of things we could cover, but I don't have enough time. When we talk about being a good representative of Jesus, if you're going to represent Jesus well, you're going to to need to be known for three different things. All right? So if you're taking notes, write these down. The first thing, if you're going to represent Jesus well, that you need to be known for, you need to be known for God's words. You need to be known for God's words. John chapter 12, verse 49, if you spend any amount of time around me, you're going to hear me at some point refer to this or quote this verse. Because as a communicator of the gospel, this is one of the most important verses. But understand something before I read this to you. This verse... John chapter 12, verse 49 is not a verse for communicators. It is a verse for every child of God chosen to represent Jesus. Let me read it to you. 
John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. Okay, think about that for a sec. Think about that. The next time you get onto social media to post something, can you imagine if this was your last thought before you started typing? I don't speak on my own authority. Okay, whose authority did Jesus speak on? Listen to what he says. The Father who sent me, remember, the, the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the children. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Have you ever heard the, the wise saying, what we say is never as important as how we say it? Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, they stole that from Jesus. I don't know who acted like they made that up. Jesus was the one who said, hey, listen, I don't speak of my own authority. The Father who sent me does not suggest to me what to say and how to say it. He commands me what to say and also how to say it. How much of your time do you spend asking the Lord via the Holy Spirit, how should I say this? See, I think as believers, we fixate on the what to say part. Well, Scripture says don't worry about what to say because in that moment, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Yeah, absolutely. But have we mastered the how to say it part? You understand why this is so important? Because everyone who doesn't know Jesus, who knows you, is listening to you to see and learn how Jesus talks. I, I know there's going to be a lot of conviction in this message, all right? I was lamenting more than half of this week, not over an election. I was lamenting as he was helping me understand where we were going this weekend. As I saw where we were going, here was my response to the Lord. It was a lament. And I said, Lord, your church has not lived up to your name. And I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing right at me. And incidentally, if you don't think lamenting is godly, then why is there a book named after it? I'm just asking. Lament is okay in the presence of the Lord when you know you've done wrong. We confess it. Say, Lord, I haven't lived up to your name. The Son of God was sent as the mouthpiece of God. Think about this. The children of God are sent as the mouthpiece of Jesus. Jesus said when he was leaving, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you what I have said. He's going to tell you again what I said. Now, two things, if you're going to be known for God's words, two things have to be present in your life. Here's the first one. You have to love God's word. It is impossible to be known for God's words without a love for God's word. Psalm 119, verse 103, David says to God, How sweet are your words to my taste. They are sweeter than honey to my mouth. Here's what you need to remember about the word of God. With the word of God, the more you eat of it, the sweeter it gets. It's a proven fact. The more you get of God's word, the sweeter it becomes when you digest it. Uh, let me try and illustrate this. Uh, I, I've said this before many times. One of my favorite things on planet Earth 
is Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream, okay? David was talking about honey. Clearly, he, he liked honey on his Honey Nut Cheerios kind of a guy. I, my, my sweet indulgence, Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. To me, Tillamook is what they serve you on your first day in hell. Shots fired. I can back it up, people. It's a blind taste test, all right? Tillamook is the nectar of Hades. Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream is the nectar of heaven. It's inarguable, and here's how I know, because I have the mic right now and you don't. But every once in a while, when I have Bluebell, I'm using this as a joke, I'm being sarcastic, you know it. Every once in a while when I have Bluebell homemade ice cream, and if Holly's made brownies, and she knows exactly how I like my brownies, a little chewy, but a little gooey, you know what I'm talking about? And then she puts an extra heaping dose of Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream on top of it. If you're at my house and we ever have brownies and homemade Bluebell, okay, vanilla, you're gonna hear a sound similar to this when it goes into my mouth. Mm, mm, mm. That is good. Holy mother of Mephibosheth, this is the nectar of heaven. I mean, I, I, I get it sounds a little bit dramatic. I love it. It is literally my favorite sweet thing, okay? Well, think about for you. I don't know what your sweet indulgence is, but think about the last time you went to a restaurant and dessert came to the table. And you cut a piece of that dessert off and you, you put a piece into your mouth and you, you did like I do. Mm, mm, that's good. Sweet mother of Mary who gave birth to baby Jesus. That is good. Okay, something dramatic in that fashion. I know you're not dramatic like that. But think about this. When was the last time in a secret place you were chewing on the word of God and you got so overwhelmed by what was going into your soul that you burst out of the secret place and found the first person that was closest to you who would listen, and you said, mm, 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 you gotta hear this. Oh, this verse is killing me right now. This is nasty. You've got to hear this. Okay, listen. David is saying, when you love God's word, you get a lot more dramatic about digesting it than you do about the sweetest indulgence you put to your lips. If you're gonna be known for God's words, you have to have an insatiable love for the word of God. Here's the second thing you need. You need to speak his words more than your own. You gotta speak his words more than your own. John 7, verse 16, so Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Now, here's the second scary one-liner in this message. One of the most scary things a lost person can say to a believer after listening to them talk is this. I hope that's not how God talks. Oh, can you imagine someone, I know it seems like I'm harping on this, I'm not, it's just the day in which we live. Can you imagine one of your lost friends who follows you on social media, reading a post that you wrote this past week, and they said out loud, Whew, 
I hope that's not how God talks. Psalm 19, verse 14. David had such a great response to this potential problem. He said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's the second thing that you have to be known for if you're gonna represent Jesus well. You have to be known for God's ways, not just God's words. It is not enough to know the language. We must also live the life. Psalm 119, verse 11, David says, I have hidden your word in my heart. So we just talked about God's words. David says, oh, I've hidden your word. I have an intimate relationship with your word, O God. But let me tell you why. So that I might not sin against you. I don't just read your book. I don't just read your words, God. I have hidden your words in my heart because I want to be so close to you relationally that I don't ever want to do something opposite of the way you want it done. Here's a, a very simple definition of sin. Sin is any way opposite of God's way. Now, if you're taking notes, this is a longer one-liner, but I want you to write this down and then I'll illustrate it. Let's talk about what is so dangerous about sin. Sin is not dangerous because it is bad or has consequence. Sin is dangerous because it sends the exact opposite message God wants to send. I'll leave that up there for a minute, and I want to illustrate this. Years ago, it was Sunday afternoon, and Holly had told me before I left the church, she said, hey, will you stop at the grocery store and pick up stuff for turkey sandwiches? And I said, absolutely. So I go to the grocery store and I head towards the deli. And you know how sometimes you go to the deli and there's like 16 people already there and you're like, we're having pizza tonight. You know, I got to the counter, there was no one there. I was like, the Lord is in this place. It's Sunday, I'm a man of the cloth. He went ahead of me, there's no one here. So I grabbed my number just out of respect for the process. Even though I didn't really need to, I don't see why I grab a number, but there was a number on the wall, I grab a number. There are two people behind the counter, only one of me on this side of the counter. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm gonna blow in and blow out of here. Five minutes go by, neither of them say a word to me. They're kind of walking around doing stuff and I thought, well, maybe there's, there are some mobile orders. Five minutes, not a word is spoken to me. Another five minutes go by, nothing. And I'm going, I can feel my blood pressure going up just a little bit. I know you don't think a man of the cloth would ever experience something like that, but sometimes we, we are tempted to take the cloth and beat people with it. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm playing. Ten minutes go by, and I can feel myself getting more upset. Another two minutes go by. No one has said anything to me, and I get a text from my wife. What's taking so long? Now the blood pressure goes from here to here, because now I'm getting blamed for something I have no control over. So now, 12 minutes in, Okay, right after my wife texts me, a woman comes up behind me, she grabs a number, and she goes back to standing behind me, okay? Another five minutes go by. I've been standing here for 17 minutes. And I get, this is ridiculous. The last five minutes of my wait, I was thinking about the brilliant soliloquy I would give these two people behind the counter 
that would help them understand how wrong what they're doing is. And it's, I'm not gonna lie, I was impressed with my work in those five minutes. It, it, was, pretty, it was pretty good, it was pretty salty. The 17 minute mark, I'm about to show these two people a more excellent way, if you know what I mean. And I hear a voice, and it's the woman behind me. And she goes, excuse me, are you Pastor Preston? Why, yes, I am. <laughs> Do you go to the church? Oh, we've been going for the last two weeks. Can you imagine how quickly and her eight or nine-year-old daughter is standing with her? I'm not saying I was going to cuss them out. I was just going to be very firm. Can you imagine how quickly she would have found a much better pastor <laughs> than what I would have been in that moment? And I want to attach a verse to this to help you understand why this is so important and why it was in that moment. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. She knows this. Everyone knows this that knows I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That I no longer live. This is the goal. But Christ lives in and through me. Here's another Scary one-liner, one of the most serious things a lost person can say to a believer after watching the way they live is, I hope that's not what God is like. That's what she would have been thinking. If I would have gone off on those two employees at the grocery store, I guarantee you she'd have been thinking, man, I mean, they were wrong, there's no doubt about that, but I hope when I've done wrong, I hope that's not how God deals with me the way Preston dealt with them. I hope that's not what God is like. Okay, listen. Are you seeing the responsibility of representing Jesus well? Two things have to be present if you're going to be known for God's ways. There are others, but let me give you these two. First, you do what's best for others more than you do what's best for you. You pull this off, and you will be known for God's ways more than you're known for your ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, Paul says, I don't just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. For those of you who say, I'm not good at evangelism, Paul is serving you up a platter of how to cheat on the test of evangelism. Paul says, you, you want to be good at evangelism. Hey, just do this. Do what's best for others more than you do what's best for yourself. This will get their attention in a world that's filled with people who are doing what's best for themselves. You want to get the attention of the lost. Do what's best for them, not what's best for you. But he doesn't stop there. And he says, and you, speaking to all of us, not just the church in Corinth, all of us as believers, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Let's personalize this. Paul's saying, Preston, listen. I'm a representative of Jesus. That means I am imitating Jesus. Whatever he does, I'm trying to do. 
And one thing I've seen about Jesus, he doesn't do what's best for himself. He does what's best for everybody else. Preston, had Jesus done what was best for him, when he said to the Father in the garden that night, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please let it be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. If Jesus was all about what was best for him, he would have let the cup drop to the ground. But Preston, because Jesus is about what's best for you and everyone else, he drank that cup and went all the way to the point of death. I'm imitating him. And Preston, you as a follower of his, you need to imitate me as I imitate him. Second thing, you live to please God, not yourself. You don't just live to please others. You live to please God. You do what's best for others, but you don't live to please them. How many of you have ever noticed that two people will never be pleased by the same thing? So we don't live to please man, and we don't live to please ourselves. We live to please God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. Now, I know you may not think this is the way things go, but let me help you kind of understand what it's like when God is pleased that you did things his way and not your way. Go back to me in the deli department. You may not think this is what happened. I was this close, and he knew it better than anybody. She didn't know it. He knew it. And I didn't do it. And here's what I felt in that moment. Way to go! You made it 17 minutes. Preston, you've tapped out far sooner than that in the past. You made it 17 minutes. Well done. You didn't mess things up with that sweet family. Way to go. I'm so pleased, Preston. Now we need to work on your heart a little bit more, but I'm pleased with what you did in that moment because your flesh wanted to do one thing, but you knew that's not what I wanted you to do. Way to go. Okay, listen. Here's what you need to understand about your heavenly father. The way he celebrates your behavior is like a daddy watching his five-year-old play soccer. Ever been to a five-year-old soccer match? They travel in packs. Some of them aren't even paying attention to the ball. And you need to understand this is what your father is like. When you are out in the middle of the field and the ball is coming to you and you bend down and grab a daisy and look to the sideline and go, Daddy, look at this flower. It's beautiful. And he's over there as the ball comes by you and into the net, not even paying attention to the other team scoring. He goes, you are the best flower picker in the history of humanity. So you think that's silly. Don't laugh too deeply at that because that's actually how things are. He celebrates the little things, the little wins that you and I experience, even if it's unnoticed by everybody else. When we live according to his way, not according to ours, he is pleased. And when he is pleased, he celebrates you and the smallest little things you do. Brings us to the third thing. If you're going to represent Jesus well, you must be known for God's love. Not just God's words, not just God's ways. Now listen, some of you, like with last week, some of you might be thinking, this is an elementary message. I 100% agree with you. 100%. 
But let me help you understand the why behind that. Not one person in this room or watching online has mastered these things. I have not mastered these things. And until I master the milk, I probably should not be chasing meat too much all the time. This is what it looks like to represent Jesus. If you're gonna represent Jesus well, you have to be known for God's love. One of the ways I know, what's the most famous verse on the planet? It's not a trick question. Like 18 of you answered that. What's the most famous verse in the Bible on the earth? Yeah, did you think it was like Leviticus? I'm not trying to trick you. John 3.16, give me the first couple of words of John 3.16. God so what? God so what? Okay. It's not an accident that the most famous verse in scripture begins with, for God so, 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 so loved. Okay, listen, this is one of the biggest responsibilities as it relates to representing Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, greater love hath no man than to lay his life down for his friend. Being known for God's love is a biggie. Let me show it to you in scripture. Second, uh, First John 2, now in verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this command. Let me give you what I think is the scariest one-liner of this message. One of the scariest things a lost person can say to a believer after watching the way they love is, I sure hope that's not how God loves. And I wanna show you two very important things if you're gonna be known for the love of God. We need to get better at these two things. Here's the first one, unreserved sacrifice. Sacrifice for others without reservation. Ephesians chapter five, verse one, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. This is what his children do. They imitate the Father in everything they do. Verse two, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Unreserved sacrifice. Again, let me go back to those who say, I'm not good at leading people to Christ. I'm not great at evangelizing. One of the easiest ways to lead people to Jesus is to sacrifice the way he did. Extravagant sacrifice without reservation. I saw this years ago. I was having dinner with one of my best friends. I was flying somewhere and I had a layover in Dallas and he came up to the airport to meet me for dinner. And we had dinner at a, a nice restaurant at the, the hotel there in the airport. And we walked into the restaurant a couple minutes before they were about to close. It was late that night. And if they would have turned us away, we both would have understood. But a, a woman, probably I would say in her early 50s, uh, came to the front of the restaurant. The host or hostess wasn't there. And this 
sweet woman comes up to us, grabs two menus, and seats us at a table in her section. And so, as my friend and I often do, we spend a lot of time talking to the servers, and we get to the end of the meal, and the check comes. And I reach out, I have it in my hand, and my friend literally rips it out of my hand. Now, we do this from time to time. We'll argue over the check, but this was different. And I said, what in the world is wrong with you? And he goes, not today. I'm supposed to do something. Just let me do it. I go, okay. The bill was a, a little shy of 100 bucks, right at, right at 100 bucks with tax probably. And my friend goes to write in the tip section. And he writes... $1,000. Not a 10% tip, a tenfold tip. And I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed when you feel kind of uh, led to give a bigger tip, sometimes we like to let it be known, right? We keep it open. They come back to the table and we kind of do this. Like, you should look at this. Okay, he didn't do any of that. He had it closed. And she comes and gets it and goes back to the back. Not 60 seconds later, she hurries back to the table and she is sobbing. And it's a conversation I'll never forget. First question, she says, is this for real? Okay, you know your sacrifice? is without reservation when they think it's a joke or a trick. Is this for real? And my best friend goes, it most certainly is for real. And she goes, why did you do this? And he goes, because I love you. And she goes, but you don't know me. How can you love me? And he goes, because I love God. And I've seen the way he looks at you. And because I love him, and I've watched how much he loves you, I love you because he loves you. She's just crying. And over the next couple of minutes, he leads her to Christ. Now, the pessimist in some of you might be thinking, well, I would have pretended to let myself be led to Christ if I just got a thousand bucks as a tip on a hundred dollar tab. Well, listen, I've been in those situations before and I know what's real and I know what's fake. Her cry was an ugly cry and it wasn't just about money. She was trying to figure out what this love was that she was feeling. My best friend leads her to Jesus. I learned a lesson that day that one of the best ways to get the attention someone who doesn't know Jesus is sacrificing. Here's the second thing. Undeserved commitment. Undeserved commitment. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. This is one of my favorite runs in all of Scripture when we talk about undeserved commitment. Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I am convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing, Say it again. Nothing. 
thing. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, no thing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is crazy talk. That is what undeserved commitment sounds like. When you get a revelation, there is nothing you can do. Nothing. No thing that could separate you from the unrelenting, overwhelming love of God. For God so loved the world. How did he love the world? We paid the highest price for it, for each of them. And he also commits in a way that none of us deserves. Think about this. What does undeserved commitment look like when somebody in your life, especially somebody that doesn't know Jesus, screws up and does you wrong? You don't run. You double down. When someone in your family comes to you and says, I don't believe what you believe anymore. And I am going to begin dating the opposite sex. What does undeserved commitment look like? You double down. Preston, are you justifying their sin? No, Jesus never justified sin. But he never shied away from commitment. When someone that you love gets on their social media page and posts your least favorite things to hear about the other side politically, instead of lashing out at them, you double down your commitment to them. As I was getting ready for this message this week, I could feel the, the heavy conviction because I, I just knew most, if not all of us, are gonna walk through these three simple steps and I'll feel convicted that we have not represented Jesus as well as we should have. And so I said to the Lord, Holmes, how are you gonna wrap this thing up? Because if you don't tie a bow on this, you're gonna have some people that totally shut off as it relates to representing you. And I'm not, I'm not kidding, this is what I felt. I felt like I heard a sound and a word. Here's the sound I felt like I heard. <laughs> Just like that. He wasn't clearing his throat and he didn't have COVID, okay? <laughs> Almost like silly Preston. And then I heard one word, Peter. Preston, Peter is the perfect representative how I handle someone who represents me. It doesn't do as good of a job as they should have. I can't tell you the whole story, but if you haven't heard the story of Peter, when Jesus was arrested, 
Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus actually predicted this would happen. Peter denies Jesus three times. And in John 21, we fast forward to that part of the story. John the beloved and Peter are fishing in the boat and they haven't caught a thing. And they hear a voice from the shore that says, having any luck out there, boys? To which they respond, we haven't caught a thing. They can't see the face of the person on the shore, but they hear the voice say, just throw your net on the other side of the boat. Well, they do it. They catch so many fish, the boat nearly sinks. And I think it was John the Beloved who goes, I think that's Jesus. <laughs> you think? Peter, not waiting to see if it was Jesus or not, gets dressed, swims to the shore. And Jesus, there on the shore, is cooking breakfast. One of the sweetest things you can do to this day in Jewish culture is break bread with one another. Jesus is cooking breakfast. Now, I just want you to think for a minute. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. You denied Jesus three times. You even took an oath that you didn't know who he was. Can you imagine what Peter is thinking as he's swimming to the shore? and he sees, realizes it's Jesus. Don't you think, if that's you, you're kind of expecting a pretty strong rebuke? I would be. I would be, because I know what I deserve. I'd get to that shore thinking I would hear Jesus say, if I'm Peter, Peter, why did you do it? Peter, I said in front of everyone, upon this rock, I'm going to build my whole church. And that's the guy who misrepresents me so badly, he says he doesn't even know me? Peter, what did you do? Do you know what I love about Jesus? He never responds the way you think he will. What does Jesus say to Peter on the shore over breakfast? says, Peter, I want to ask you a question. Right now, in this moment, not back then, in this moment, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I do. Jesus said again, hey, Peter, right now, in this moment, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I love you. Jesus asked him one more time, almost as though he's asking one time for each denial. Jesus says, Peter, I want to know, how do you feel about me right now? I know you regret what went down in essence. Let's talk about right now. I'm right here in front of you, breaking bread with you, sending you the message. Oh, I love you. And I just want to know, do you love me like I love you? Peter says, Lord, 
you know I love you. Interestingly enough, some of the next words we see Peter utter in Scripture are on Pentecost. And thousands of people give over control of their lives to Yeshua HaMashiach. Why? Because when Peter thought he was going to encounter Christ's anger, he came face to face with unrelenting love. I understand that some of us have dropped the ball as it relates to representing Jesus the way we should and the way he deserves. But rather than let you beat yourself up in this moment, can we all just be a little bit more like Peter and embrace Christ's love and go away walking in it? I want you to grab the communion elements that you received for those of you in this room. If you're watching online, we're going to take communion together. I'd love for you to be a part if you're able, but if not, it's okay. Just take out the bread and hold on to it. Once you have the bread out, I want you just to close your eyes, and I want you to swim to shore. I want you just to swim to shore. On your way to the shore, you realize Jesus is the one speaking from the shore. And every couple breaths, you look up, and the closer you get to the shore, you see Jesus is cooking you a meal. And it just so happens you are holding that meal in your hands right now. The most expensive bread you will ever eat in your life bread that cost him his own life. I know Paul says we need to take account of ourselves as we take the communion elements, and we should, and I'm pretty sure after a message like this, most of us have taken account, and we know where we've fallen short. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as you reach the shore. I want you to look deeply into his eyes. Yeah, that, that's not anger. That's obsession, you're saying. He's been waiting to share this meal with you since before you were a glimmer in your mother's eye. Maybe there's a part of you that's expecting to hear him talk about all the reasons you're not lovable. And yet in love, he's saying to you, I just have one question for you right now. Do you love me? Yeah, I know. I know, Preston, you've misrepresented me in the last week. 
the last month, the last year. Many, many, many times since you were 13. Preston, I'm not here to talk about that right now. I want to ask you a question. Do you love me? I love you so much, Jesus says, but do you love me? The night Jesus took the bread with his disciples and he said, this is my body. This bread right here represents my body, which was broken for you. I did it because it was best for you, not what was best for me. Every time you eat this bread, can I ask you to do me a favor? Jesus, in essence, said, will you just remember me? Will you just remember me? As we take this bread on the shore, let's do what he asks. Let's remember him. same way at night at the last supper Jesus took the cup and he said this cup represents my blood which is shed for you Preston if you ever wonder why when you swim to shore I'm not screaming at you understand my why because when you confess and repent, every time you misrepresent me, I pour my blood on it. I pour my blood over it. I cover it up, son. The father says to you, I take the blood of my son and I cover your sin. And I choose to remember your sin no more. I'll never remember it again because of the blood. It's like Jesus is saying, Preston, I don't scream on the shore because my blood is louder than I could ever scream. Jesus, when he took the cup that night, said, every time you drink from this cup, do me a favor. Don't forget me. Remember me. I wonder if one of the reasons Jesus asked us to remember him was simply because when we remember him constantly, it gets really easy to represent him consistently. As we take this cup, let's do what he asked. Let's remember him. Let's take the cup. just place the cup there on the ground by you. When we're done, dismissed, you can pick it up and throw it away. I want you to stand. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. I know there's so much going on right now, but I'm just telling you what's going on 
on this shore is a lot more important than what's going on on the earth. We're gonna sing one more song before we leave. What does one do when they deserve a rebuke? When they got to the shore, what they got was unbridled love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. One video I don't wanna watch when I get to heaven, and he turns on Heavenly TiVo, video I don't want to watch is all of the moments throughout my life I misrepresented. But rather than focus on that in this moment, can we fixate on the one who loves us so much and wants us to love him so much? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, fix our eyes on you. Oh, the most loving eyes that have ever walked the face of this earth. Jesus, I deserve horrible consequence and punishment. I have misrepresented you so many times in my life. I just pray that it didn't cause them to run away from you forever. Father, don't ever let us get in your way of extending your love to everyone on the earth. God, I pray in this moment we wouldn't hear the voice of the enemy trying to remind us of all the moments where we misrepresented Jesus. I pray that, God, we'd hear your voice beckoning us closer to your side so we can see you more clearly and therefore represent you more consistently. Jesus, thank you for dealing with us the way that you do. We worship you in this moment. Thank you for your love. Thank you for i
Yeah. This is a newer song. This is one we have not done before. But we're going to declare some powerful words because when Jesus gives us his authority, it is true. Walls come down. So let's sing together today and say with hands raised and voices. Come on, we sing when I lift. Oh, when I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes. today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.